Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of the SB Nation family of podcasts. On today's show, we're going to uh, take a look at the Giants, some of the narratives that have surrounded the Giants heading into OTAs, which begin on Monday. And here to to help me discuss, break down some of those narratives is Patricia Traina. Patty, how are you today? And thank you very much for uh, for spending some time with me. Always a pleasure, Ed. Anytime. Hey, you know we. Uh, so let's let's get right into this, Patty. You know we we've seen you know we've seen free agency now. We've seen the draft. We know, you know, pretty much what the Giants roster is going to look like heading into, you know, into the 2019 season. And at this point, it looks like, you know, there are certain narratives that we hear constantly surrounding the Giants. And that's what I really want to do today. I'm going to toss out these narratives. I'm going to give you the opportunity to give your your viewpoint on them. Uh, you know, when when you're done, maybe I'll uh, I'll weigh in with a little bit of, of my own opinion on on these different topics, and uh, and we'll see where it goes today. All right, sounds good. All right, so the first narrative comes about after the uh, free agent signing of the veteran right tackle Mike Remmers, and the narrative basically is okay. The offensive line is fixed. And I don't know that it's fixed, but that's people are saying, okay, it's fixed. It, where do you stand on, on on fixed on the offensive line? Well, you know, we were told last year, or the narrative last year after the Giants made all those signings was that the offensive line was fixed as well. And we all know what happened in the beginning of the season, how that line proved to be not fixed. It was different, but it was not fixed. So we had this year... Um, you know, Kevin Zeitler is, is an upgrade. No question about it. He was pro football Focus's top ranked guard. I think last year, the thing with Remmers, who, by the way, is actually, um, you know, if you go, when you look at his pro football grades, uh, sorry, pro football focus grades, he's actually a better tackle than he is guard. But the thing that bothers me is whether or not Mike Remmers, back is going to hold up. He did have the surgery you know, he rehabbed, he did everything he was supposed to. He was able to pass the physical. But as you know, those back injuries can be tricky. So the next question for me is, is if God forbid he has to miss a game, what's their backup option right now? Chad Wheeler? Is it Big George? Is it someone else? That's where I'm a little bit shaky. So in terms of looking at the offensive line, I'm looking at not just the starters, I'm looking at the depth in the event of an emergency. You know, I look at it this way, Patty. From where we were a year ago, you know, with Patrick Omame, with you know, crossing our fingers and hoping that the Giants could get something out of Eric Flowers as a right tackle, I look at it as the Giants with Kevin Zeitler and with Mike Remmers would appear to be in a better place than they were a year ago. But I don't think you can say fixed until we see these guys perform. I mean, Remmers is an adequate, you know, he's an average right tackle. He's a guy that's got some guard experience. I think he signed a one-year contract. He's not a long-term solution. 
He's a guy that they hope to get adequate play from, and it buys them some time maybe to get into the draft next year and hopefully find a long-term answer. I still question whether the Giants have you know, a long-term answer at center in John Halapio. I just don't know. I mean, I think we still have questions about that starting offensive line, and you're also right about the depth. I look at, I, I wonder, you know, who would play and how well would they play if Kevin Zeitler went down or Will Hernandez went down or, God forbid, Nate Solder went down on the other side. I think the Giants are in a better place than they were a year ago on that offensive line. But but I won't say fixed. I think as Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer have indicated, they always want to put additional resources into both lines, offense and defense. And I think that, that upgrading and, and continuing to build those lines is going to be a, a constant work in progress. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, offensive lines don't come together overnight. It does take time. It takes reps. And I think the Giants are headed in the right direction. But like I said, for me, there's still a few question marks before I am ready to say that, yes, they have solved all their problems on that unit. I do have to say, though, that uh, in my my little bit of dealings with uh, with Big George and some of the people I've had a chance to talk to about Big George, I really like that kid. and, and, And I hope that he turns out to be as good a player as he is a person, because if that's the case then the Giants would really have something there. Yeah, I agree with you. He's a terrific young man, you know, seems very willing and eager to get started and to learn. But, you know, you got to do it on the field. That's where it all boils down to. I mean, there have been many guys who have come into camp over the years for the Giants who have been terrific human beings who you can't help root for. But when it comes to the talent ex- aspect of it um, and the execution, they've fallen short. So hopefully Big George won't be one of them. And uh, hopefully, you know, he can become the long-term solution if, you know, the Giants decide to move on from Rummers after this year. Okay, Patty, second narrative to touch on is that when you look at the draft and you look at free agency, that while the Giants spent a lot of capital on cornerback and they drafted Dexter Lawrence to help the defensive line, that they didn't do enough to help the pass rush. I'm going to say on paper, yes, I agree with that because, you know, look, they've got Marcus Golden on a one-year proof-it deal. He's coming back two years removed. He'll be two years uh, removed from that that Achilles injury that he had. So they gave him a one-year proof-it deal. They have O'Shane Zimenez, who, you know, is trying to make the jump from a smaller program. They have Lorenzo Carter who, you know, showed some flashes last year, but, you know, still had some work to do. They have, um, I'm trying to think who else. They have uh, Kareem Martin, um, you know, who disappeared at times last year. And they have Lorenzo Carter, who is trying to, you know, take the next step forward. They don't have, per se, a proven pass rusher. You know, Golden is the closest thing they have. Um, so with that said, I what I think is going to happen in this instance is while the Giants are kind of, you know, allowing those edge guys to find their footing, so to speak, I think we're going to see instances where James Betcher is going to generate a pass rush from other avenues, such as, you know, maybe the defensive secondary, maybe he sends some of the off-ball linebackers in on blitzes, 
um, you know, the pushing of the pocket up the middle with a Dexter Lawrence. So I just think that, you know, the pass rush is going to probably come from other areas. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the, the leading, you know, I get asked this a lot on Twitter. I wouldn't be surprised if the sack leader on the Giants isn't an edge rusher this year. I would agree with that, Patty. You know, there are some things that the Giants did on defense. And, you know, th- there's more than one way to do things, you know, on when it, when it comes to anything. And I think that what the Giants did here was they didn't directly draft a big-time pass rusher. You know, when they were sitting there at 17 in the draft, I think they could have sort of quieted this particular narrative had they drafted Montez Sweat, the pass rusher from, you know, Mississippi State instead of drafting Dexter Lawrence. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that would have been the right thing to do or that drafting Lawrence was the wrong thing to do. But in terms of this narrative, it would have pretty much taken it off the table because then they could have said, we drafted a first round, you know, a pure first round pass rusher. But I think what they've done here is done some things that will help the pass rush in other ways, bulking up in the secondary, adding DeAndre Baker, Julian Love, you know, adding you know Antoine Bethea in the back end of the defense. They've done some things that will help the pass rush, but they did not, you know, add that one pure pass rush guy, at least a proven one. James Betcher, you know, said the other day that these guys have to build their resume. But the I will say this, and you know, I agree with that in terms of Zimenez. I agree with that in terms of Lawrence and and you know BJ Hill and, and Lorenzo Carter and those guys. The one thing that does bother me is if the Giants are really and truly looking at Marcus Golden and counting on him to be their premier pass rush guy. He hasn't been that since he hurt his knee a couple of years ago. And even when he was a 12, 12 and a half sack guy in Arizona, he wasn't the number one guy there. He was playing across from Chandler Jones. And I think it's a really big ask if you're looking at Marcus Golden and and saying, you know, he is our primary, you know, number one pass rusher. Yeah, I think it's a gamble. I mean, you know, with all due respect to Golden, I like the attitude that he brings. I like the, the want to that he brings. But the question is, will his body allow him to, you know, fulfill all that? And I think it's a big gamble. I And, you know, the way I see it, they have a lot of question marks on the edge. Um, not that they don't have talent. I think Lorenzo Carter, if he if he you know takes that leap forward, I think he could be a good addition. You know, I'm curious to see how quickly Zimenez can make the, the leap from Old Dominion to the NFL. But I just would would have felt better if they had gotten a pure pass rusher, a healthy pure pass rusher, somewhere along the lines. And I wouldn't be surprised actually at if they add a you know a pass rusher. You know, I think uh, Shane Ray is still unsigned, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there might be a couple of other guys that are still unsigned. Maybe they look to do that instead. Yeah, you never know how things work out, you know, heading into the into training camp, into the preseason. I think it was really, really late last year when the Giants signed Connor Barwin. That was a move that, that didn't really work out for the Giants. You know, Patty, I, I keep thinking here, I, I keep, you know, 
coming back. I mentioned Montez Sweat earlier, and there was a point in time when I think people thought that the Giants would draft Montez Sweat six and perhaps a quarterback, you know, maybe Daniel Jones at seventeen. And I, I just wonder what the reaction would would be or would have been had the Giants actually done that in reverse. Who knows? I mean, probably not as outraged as it was, you know, given the way they took the draft, right? Oh, sure. But I think, you know, it comes down to it, it It all comes down to in the end, you know, do the guys that the Giants drafted, do they perform? And if, if they perform, yeah, then all of the emotion, all of the firestorm, all of that goes away. Exactly. That's what it all boils down to win and perform and all the all this, you know, Oh, they should have done this, or they should have done that. That all disappears. Patty, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors here, and then we'll come back and we'll uh, talk about a couple more of these narratives. All right, Giants fans, back here on the Valentine's Views podcast, along with good friend Pat Trana, and we are discussing narratives surrounding the Giants' As we head into OTAs, which the next phase of the off-season program, which begin on Monday, media will have access on Monday, and will have access to I think three or four of those sessions, Patty, over the uh, over the next few weeks. Correct? I think it's three, and then the uh, mandatory mini camp. All I know is, you know, I think practice on Monday morning is at is at nine forty-five. And that means I'll be in my car on the road heading up the New York State Thruway by 6.30 in the morning, and I'm going to be really grouchy when I get there. Well, then make sure you sit on the opposite end of the room from me, Ed. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in a, an official request with Pat Shermer that he, that he make practices during OTAs a little bit later. Hey, I have to go north on the turnpike to get to practice, so you know at least you're coming south. Well, there is that. So uh, I don't I don't hit anything really really bad traffic wise until I get about ten minutes uh, about ten minutes from the facility when everything just sort of grinds to a halt. Uh, that's the price you got to pay, Ed. You want to play with the big boys? You got to put up with the schedule. There you go. All right, Patty. Let's uh, let's get back to a couple of these narratives here. And the next one that I have on my uh, on my list of, of things that I jotted down here was something about the about the wide receivers, and what we keep hearing. You know, with Odell Beckham now in Cleveland, the Giants signed Golden Tate. They drafted Darius Slayton in the sixth round, and he's another guy that's you know six one one ninety has that same body type. The narrative that we hear is that the Giants just don't have either enough talent or enough diversity of skill set in their wide receiving core, you know, to really be successful in the passing attack. Uh, what's your take on that, Patty? I think it's too soon to really say. I mean, if we're going off what these guys did in the past, I can see why people would say that. But let's see how the coaching staff here is going to use these guys. You know, maybe they, they get to a point where they say, okay, you know what, we're going to use Sterling Shepard, for example, in the slot on these particular situations. 
or Golden Tate will be, you know, the flanker on these particular situations. I think it's kind of premature to say that. And here's the other thing, Ed. I don't think you want to necessarily paint these guys into a corner because when you start doing that, then it becomes very predictable to figure out what the Giants might do. So you want some overlap, I think, amongst the receivers so that, um, you know, it's not as predictable. It's not like, you know, you see Sterling Shepard in the slot. You say to yourself, oh, he's going to he's gonna run this route or he's going to be the target because, you know, analytics say that that's what they do on third down. You know, maybe now they, they move Golden Tate into the slot and, you know, Sterling Shepard's outside and they say, okay, now they've, they've got something else to think about. So I'm not so sure it's a bad thing, you know, what the Giants have right now. And they're going to spread that, you know, the ball around. They're going to share the wealth. And I think that's going to be a good thing because, look, when Odell was here, no question about it, Odell was a tremendous talent. He will be missed. But everybody kind of knew that he was the go-to guy. Now can anybody sit there and say, oh, the Giants are going to go to Sterling Shepard on every, you know, first down throw. They're going to go to Evan Ingram on every third down throw. I don't think we can say that anymore, and I think that's a good thing. You know, Patty, I think that one of the things that I was looking forward to when Pat Shermer became the head coach with Eli Manning at quarterback and with the weapons that the Giants had you know, with Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram and, and Odell at the time, and even now with Golden Tate, you know, it's different. But what I was looking forward to was watching Eli be able to walk up to the line of scrimmage and simply identify a mismatch, get the ball out quickly and allow whoever had that mismatch, you know, to create yards after catch. And I think the Giants still have that circumstance and now perhaps they have a an improved offensive line we hope that will allow Eli, you know, to to get the ball out to guys you know, I think that Matt Williamson wrote at Big Blue View the other day, he wrote a piece about the wide receivers, and he said, look, he said, this is actually the way that the league is trending more toward some of these smaller route runners, guys that you get the ball out to quickly, guys who create some space quickly off the line of scrimmage, and guys who do things with the ball, you know, in terms of yards after catch, you know, once they receive the ball. So perhaps, and and he also, his point also was that at this point in his career, that perhaps fits the skill set of Eli Manning better. And we know from what he did at Duke that what they call the quick game is really where Daniel Jones excelled at the college level. So perhaps as it unfolds, and and we don't know, we don't know exactly how Sterling Shepard will be used or Golden Tate or how often the Giants will split Evan Ingram away from the line of scrimmage and, and, and those kinds of things. you know. But perhaps the receiving core that they've begun to develop is one that fits the skill sets of their quarterbacks. We'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah, um, that's something we're going to start to actually see in these spring practices. Um, you know, it's a non-contact practice, but... You're going to start to see and get an idea on how these these receivers are going to be used and, you know, and what concepts and, you know, whether a quarterback is going to take a three-step drop or a five-step drop when throwing to this guy. So you will get an idea. You know, the whole point of the spring is to experiment and see what works. And what works is what you take into the summer. 
what doesn't work is what you put on the shelf and and table for the time being. So um, that's certainly going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on in, in the practices this spring. Sure, Patty. The final narrative is one that we've heard since Daniel Jones was drafted sixth overall. And it revolves around Eli Manning and the idea that Eli has to be a mentor for Daniel Jones, that he needs to make that part of his quote-unquote mission or part of his job. It's an idea that Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman have have downplayed, have disagreed with, but that narrative is out there that it is Eli's job to teach Daniel Jones. Uh, so just just your thoughts on, on what Eli's responsibility actually is here. Eli's job is to get himself ready and win games for this team. That is what he is here for. Now, as far as Daniel Jones... Eli has, you know, he's never been, you know, a jerk about helping out a teammate because Eli understands that they're all on the same team. You know, even these guys who might, you know, eventually take his job. I think Eli understands that he's not going to play forever um, and that, you know, he's whatever he can do to help the organization, he can. But if you're Daniel Jones, what you want to do is you want to be around Eli. You want to observe. You want to ask questions. You know, I think back to, and, and I know this is not, you know, an apples to apples comparison. But when I first started out on the beat, I had no idea what I was doing. And I know some people will probably say, well, you still don't. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but the point is, is I watched some of the veteran reporters i asked questions when the opportunity you know presented themselves those guys weren't there to, to hold my hand and bring me along i had to learn for myself i had to take little pieces of what you know what they did and adapt them to what i felt comfortable doing and doing the job and i think the same holds true for daniel jones you know ask eli you know hey how do you recover after throwing you know 50 practice uh 50 uh, uh passes in practice you know um hey i'm watching this film and i think i see this route developing this way what's your take on that those are the little things that that daniel jones can do and that's how eli can can mentor him you know it shouldn't be a case of where eli has to you know proactively go after daniel jones and make sure that he's lifting weights that he's studying the playbook that he's dissecting film and all that stuff Eli's not there to be the babysitter. And I think that's where this narrative gets a little confused. I would agree with that, Patty. I think that I sort of agree with, with what Pat Shermer has said, is that Eli just needs to be Eli. He needs to prepare the way that Eli has always prepared. He needs to be the professional that he's always been. He needs to go about his business the way he's always done that. He's always prided himself on being a good teammate. Now, I grant you that there has never really been a first-round draft pick in the room with him you know that, that will eventually threaten his job. But you know, this will be Eli's 16th year in the league. He knows it's not going to last forever. I don't see any reason why... Eli has to be anything other than what he's always been, which is a guy who prepares incredibly well, a guy who does everything in terms of representing the franchise the right way, a guy who handles the press and the criticism and, and all of that the right way. 
He's a guy who doesn't throw his teammates under the bus when things go wrong, which over the years, to be honest with you, he's had many, many, many opportunities to throw teammates under the bus, and he doesn't do that. And I think that that you're absolutely right. If you're Daniel Jones, you learn by watching. You learn by asking questions. You learn by seeing how someone who has succeeded in the New York market and who's, you know, whatever talent level you think Eli Manning has, there is something special about lasting 16 years in the NFL as a starting quarterback. And just to watch how a guy goes about preparing to do that should help a guy like Daniel Jones immensely. Absolutely. You know, again, there's an old saying that the good Lord helps those that help themselves. And look, you know, it's, it it goes the same for all of us. If you come to me and and I'll use our relationship as an example, Ed, when you first started off on the beat, you know, I could have easily said, you know what, I want nothing to do with you because I want the market share of, of the reads and the clicks, but it's all about, you know, it's all about feeling comfortable and securing yourself and, and, you know, just, I guess, you know, finding that balance, you know, so I, I think that's what has to happen here with, with uh, Eli and Daniel Jones. I don't expect Eli to go after Daniel all the time and say, okay, hey, you got to do this. He's not going to be his keeper. But what he is going to be is he's going to be a support system there, just as, you know, anybody else, you know, any other colleague would be for a newcomer that's coming on board. Because, you know, even though, yes, Daniel Jones one day will presumably take Eli's job. I have to believe that Eli is smart enough to understand that he's at the end of the line or, or approaching the end of the line. And, and, you know, the more he can do to help this kid, you know, it, it, within reason, the better off everybody is going to be. Exactly, Patty. So let's, let's do this. One more thing before we call it a show here for today. Uh, I had mentioned earlier, OTAs do begin Monday morning. As we uh, as we get a chance to to watch those, you know, we'll we'll only be seeing three of those. Their practices in shorts and t-shirts. Their non-contact practices. There's a lot of things that can't be done by t- NFL teams, you know, in these settings. So we're not going to be able to judge exactly, you know, what we're going to see and as you had indicated earlier you know you you try a lot of things at this time of the year and some of them you throw out but if there are a couple of things you know during the OTAs that you're really looking forward to uh to seeing Patty what might those be well I think first off I want to see how the defensive line personnel is deployed I want to see who's lining up where and what situations and, you know, because right now, supposedly these kids are, are versatile enough to line up anywhere. And I just want to see if there's a rhyme or a reason behind where they line up and, you know, on what plays. So that's number one. Um, the second thing I think I'm interested in seeing is, like the you know, and we discussed it before, how Daniel Jones interacts with Eli. You know, is he like a little puppy dog who follows him along, you know, all over the place? Or is he standoffish, as we've seen some quarterbacks be, you know, in, in the past? So that's another thing. Um, I think I want to see, let's see, um, 
I want to see, you know, where the injured guys are. You know, that's that's always going to be important. And I want to see how the cornerbacks play out, too, because, you know, there's so many cornerbacks there. I want to see, you know, how are they going to mix in with the safeties? Are we going to have, for example, if Corey Ballantyne's able to play, is he going to be able to, to you know, to play free safety? Or how are they going to approach that? So there's going to be a lot to see. Um, nothing is going to be set in stone. So as part of my annual PSA to those listening, you know, take the reports with a grain of salt. But, you know, we should start to get some clues moving forward as to what the coaches are thinking, um, you know, in terms of taking the team to the next level. And that, of course, being summer training camp. It's funny, Patty, you mentioned the word clues. And I think when I think back to last year, I think back to going to OTAs and going to minicamp and watching John Jalapio take all of the first team reps at center and not believing that the Giants were actually going to go into the season with John Jalapio as the starting center. So I think that you can take some things just from the alignment and from who is used with first team, second team, you know, things of that nature. I mean, as you said, those things aren't written in stone, but when you consistently see the same setting, the same alignment over and over, you know, I, I think one of the things I learned last year is believe your eyes. Absolutely. That's all you can do. And and you, you, you bring up an excellent example you know, everybody saw that and, and, you know, people were like, what's going on here? And, you know, even then people were still thinking, oh, there's no way John Jalapio is going to beat out Brett Jones. And what happened? He ended up beating him out and, and you know, Jones ended up getting tra- traded. So that's a battle, you know, to keep an eye on, too. You know, is it going to be Jalapio? Is he going to be clear to, you know, to practice or is it going to be pulley? And where's Evan Brown going to fit in? And some of these other kids, you know, where are they going to fit in? So that's an excellent point, Ed. I think that, you know, for me, it's two things, Patty. You know, one you mentioned, and, one, and that being the, the cornerbacks. I want to see, this is one of the areas that we can actually get a little bit of a handle on, you know, in these types of practices because they're non-contact, because mostly what we get to judge is the passing game. Although, you know, guys can't, they you know they can't put their hands on guys they can't press guys at the line of scrimmage but we do get to see these guys work down the field against wide receivers it'll be really interesting to see DeAndre Baker work against Sterling Shepard or Golden Tate to see Julian Love work against these guys when he gets on the field to see how Corey Ballantyne works against these guys. We'll get our first glimpse of, of Jabril Peppers as a giant. So that'll be interesting. And the other thing that we always get to see and you start to get a little glimpse of through these workouts is we see all of these undrafted guys. And, you know, which ones are going to catch your eye? Because you know that a couple of them are going to wind up making the roster. And eventually, you know, two or three of these guys will be key players. And so for me, you come out of these two or three OTAs and then the voluntary or the mandatory mini camp. And maybe by then you have an idea, you know, which of those guys you should really be paying attention to. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, we started to, to do that in the rookie mini camp where, you know, guys were jumping out at us. And But you have to temper your your uh, expectations at that point because you got to remember it's rookies going against rookies. And now you're going to have rookies and veterans, you know, mixing together. So um, certainly that's something to keep an eye on. And that's, that's an exciting thing to watch, actually, as these uh, last few spring practices play out. Yes, it is, Patty. And uh, Giants fans, with that said, I think we will call that a show for today. Patty, thank you very, very much for uh, for spending some time with me today. And I look forward to uh, seeing you Monday morning. Bright and early. Make sure you're on time and bring the donuts and the coffee. Oh, no, 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 Patty. The donuts are on you. No, 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 no. I have seniority <laughs> over you, Ed. <laughs> Oh, but I have, but, but, you know, but I have to drive so far, Patty, they won't be fresh by the time I get there. You pass plenty of Dunkin' Donuts on the way down. I've made that right, Ed. I know. (laughs) All right, Patty. Thanks again. And Giants fans, please remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.